Greetings and felicitations. You're listening to the Cherryland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for listening. And I do have to apologize to you. I know you're used to hearing me open my episodes with Billy Preston's uh, Out of Space. But my tablet, I'm having trouble with it. It doesn't want to connect to the internet, so I don't know if i got a bug haunting my software or my I, uh, iPad Pro is just crapped out. But anyway, I'm going to take it on the... Uh, Take it on the chin and move on. Uh, this is episode 27 of the Cherryland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Well, this week, because we're going to culminate in Veterans Day, which is uh, two days away, uh, we're going to discuss my life in the military. Yes, that's going to be the whole gist of our episode. So if you're one of my brothers of the Finn that uh, can relate, well, I hope you enjoy this in my little foray into my service to the United States. Stick around, we'll be right back with more Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Just imagine you hear Billy Preston playing in the background. Yeah, you know, yeah, there we go. All right, enjoy. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. Well, it's really weird for me not having bumper music, something to lead me into what we're going to discuss or talk about, and I just jump right into it. That's the weird part for me anyway. I'm pretty sure for you listening, the three of you that listen to my show are like, yeah, this is definitely weird. Okay, well, let's get down to the the brass tacks. All right, on uh, May the 28th of uh, 1978, yeah, that was a long time ago. I graduated from high school. I'd already joined and signed up for the Navy. And my e- my enlistment uh, began on May the 30th. So my last, the end of my civilian life began at 5.30 in the morning on May the 30th, 1978, as my parents and I they drove me to the AFE station. I said my goodbyes. My parents left. My heart sank. And then we began the final phase of testing, you know, the, the physical part. The, and then there was this, the big swearing in where, you know, you raise your right hand and you swore your oath of allegiance to the United States. With that, me and the other guys that were joining the Navy were put on a bus and taken to the airport where we would meet up with other guys from different uh, parts of of, uh, Texas that had come in on buses to the airport and we got on a plane. It was my first airplane ride ever. My first time on an airplane. We got on board and uh, took off for San Diego. Lovely San Diego at the end of May in the summertime. Uh, So remember, this is, I got up at 5.30 in the morning. It's, we're leaving, I want to say San Antonio about 11, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, late. There's a reason for it. And it'll come to you, it'll, it'll come at you just a bit. 
So we fly to San Diego, my first time on an airplane. I enjoyed the, well, there was no in-flight movie, but, you know, you got headphones and all that other good stuff. We got a meal. So we get to San Diego. It's like, ooh, I want to say 10 at night, California time, which means it's midnight here in San Antonio. Uh, we're herded from the airport to wait for the buses to take us to the recruit depot. Now, there's a whole bunch of guys in the airport, and they're from all over the country. And we see this long line of buses coming down the road. And each one of the buses opens up, and off jumps these, these chiefs. We didn't know what chief was at the time, but they were chiefs. Khaki-clad uh, denizens of the Navy. And so they proceeded to herd us onto the bus. And uh, we drove to the recruit depot in San Diego. Now, I didn't see anything interesting. It was just a bus ride in the middle of the night to a military base. So we get to the base, they herd us off the buses, and they hurry us into uh, this big auditorium. And then they proceed to uh, group us by billet. They gave us a billet number, and they proceeded to, uh, and pardon my voice, my throat is still raw from my dialysis. So um, they herd us into... Uh, or break us down into groups and now we're marching well not really marching we're just walking in a large group formation to our barracks excuse me now they march us over this bridge and they march us onto a part of the base known as Worm Island that's where all the recruits were so they had just built new barracks brand spanking new but we weren't staying there we were being we were going to be housed in the old barracks so now it's oh I want to say two three in the morning and they tell us to get to bed so we all grab a bunk we all flop out and we fall asleep only to be woken up in about an hour it's five in the morning they're banging on a trash can waking us up so now, excuse me again. So now we're being marched out in the dark with what we got on. We still got on civilian clothes. Uh, and we're being walked again or marched to, uh, well, this is where we learn how to march because they actually made us march in unison and step. I already had a handle on that because I was in the ROTC. So anyway. We're marching to the chow hall for our first meal. Now remember, we've been most of us been up for a long time. We're tired. We are also hungry, and we are just kind of disoriented. So we go into the chow hall. We get our morning breakfast, which was I don't even remember what. I think it was just eggs and toast and uh, and some meat, sausage probably. Excuse me, I'm, I'm also very tired. And uh, 
So we had breakfast. Then they marched us out for uh, the beginnings of our naval careers. So we marched out to this big grinder. Well, we, it was called the grinder, but there are different podiums set up in front of us. And they told everybody to line up on a on a yellow dot. Actually, my dot was number forty-one. That was going to be my billet number while I was in the while I was in boot camp. So it turns out, as we're all grouped in, the, in these big groups, these are our companies that are being formed. My company number was zero seven two oh seventy two. So now. We're being marched out by our company commander, who's already a grizzled Navy chief. Uh, this guy that we had was a really piece of work. He would uh, he would leave us about halfway through because he was not a good man. He was probably a capable capable sailor at one time, but he was an alcoholic, and that got the better of him. But he was going to be our leader for the beginning of my uh, stay at. Uh, Naval Training Center, San Diego, and uh, we were proceed to be marched to the first staging area, which was haircuts. And uh, then our next staging area was going to be uniforms. And it was really funny because I kept thinking it was a lot like the movie Stripes, when uh, you know they're handing out underwear and, and all that other good stuff, t-shirts, uniforms, and they're getting you fitted, all your stuff's being stuffed in the sea bag, and then everybody's got their sea bag strapped onto their backs, and we're being marched to the chow hall once again for lunch. So we have lunch, don't ask me, I don't remember what it was, and so we eat lunch, and now our company commander guides us out of the chow hall and we march to our back to our new barracks in the new section of town. We put all of our civilian clothes in a box, sealed them up with our names and our billet numbers and our social security numbers. And then we went, uh, one of the things they gave us was a stencil, but had our name, our first and middle initial, your social security number, and uh, I still have the stencil, from, for, for, for that matter. I found it the other day in my, all my stuff. And uh, so we proceeded to stencil our uniforms, our towels, our sheets, everything that they, that they issued us. Uh, I still have some of those towels, actually. I think one survived. So then for the next uh, eight and a half weeks we would become sailors. Although with no experience of what it was like to be in the fleet, but that was going to soon change. You're listening to the Chairline Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Stick around, we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairline Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Once again, pardon my raspy voice. But this is one of the effects of dialysis. It robs the fluids from my vocal cords and leaves them raw and rough until tomorrow. It takes about 24 hours for them to fully recover. Then I do it again on Friday and it starts all over again. Anyway, where were we? Oh, yes, uh, eight and a half weeks of boot. 
in San Diego in the summer, learn how to march, learn the different parts of a ship, surface ship that is, I was going to become a submariner. So I graduated from boot camp in, uh, I think it was just right before July, or maybe it was just after July 4th. Uh, graduated uh, boot camp, came home for two weeks with orders to proceed to uh, Naval Submarine Base Groton, Connecticut for submarine school. That's where the sub school is. I've never been anywhere at up until that point. Well, maybe Mexico a couple of times, Corpus Christi, you know, but never to another state like California and San Diego. And now I'm going to Connecticut where it gets cold. But I'm still going to Connecticut in uh, late July. And uh, so there's still... Uh, Connecticut doesn't have a summer per se. It lasts about two to three weeks. And then here comes the cold fall type weather again. So I get to Connecticut and it's rather pleasant. I check in, get to my, my submarine school uh, company and... Uh, we start learning about submarine operations, how they work, what makes them tick. Uh, the things that are going to give you the basics to make it out in the fleet. Because once you get out of the fleet, the rest is up to you whether you're going to get qualified or not. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So sub-school lasted, uh, I want to say two months, another, another eight weeks. And made a lot of good friends there. A lot of guys I would find later in the fleet. Um, we would do, we would, besides being in school, we would stand watches in the, on the base, in the different buildings. And I've told you the ghost stories about Cromwell Hall when I stood, uh, when I did the show on Halloween a couple of years ago, or a couple, a couple of seasons back. And, uh, so, with that, I got sent to the fleet, I, my orders, I, actually, when my talked to my detailer, he said, where do you want to go, kid? I said, I'd like to go to Hawaii. That's where I really wanted to go. But Hawaii is one of the most coveted duty stations in the fleet. And they were all taken, and nobody was going to send a nub like me to Hawaii. So I got orders to New London, Connecticut, the very same city I was in. It was not really a city, but a big old town. And I was going to be going to Submarine Squadron 10 to the USS Greenland, SSN 614. Um, you can look her up. There's probably pictures of her, but uh, she no longer exists. She's been stripped down, and you, pro your husband or your wife or your boyfriend probably shaves with what's left of her. Yeah, sad but true. So I report <laughs> to New London... After two, after two weeks of leave, I came home for two weeks. Then I went back to, to New London. And guess what? Winter crept in rather quickly. And uh, it was cold, but it was fine. And I do remember checking into the barracks before I reported on board. And uh, went to bed. Woke up to go to my ship. Or actually go to Submarine Squadron 10. And uh, there's a foot of snow on the ground. I've never seen snow. I've never had to deal with snow. 
Now I've got to walk through snow, and if you know anything about the Naval Submarine Base in Groton or New London, there's a lot of hills. There are a lot of hills that go up and down with stairs that you have to navigate, and now these stairs are covered in snow and ice. So I make it to the tender where Squadron 10 is, and they tell me that my ship is not there. It has already made transit out a couple of days early. And they said, this is Petty Officer Dave Piemontese. He's going to be your chaperone. He was also attached to my ship. But he also missed moving for some reason. I don't remember what it was. So anyway, so I'm hanging out with this guy, Dave Piemontese. If you're listening, hey, Dave. And... Uh, you know, he's telling me about the boat and me and these a couple other guys that are also going to be going to Greenland. So we're working with him. And what we did, we spent the next few days, I think it was about a week, hanging out of this second floor of this warehouse uh, with nothing to do. All we did was sleep. And sometimes when you're in the military, there's, there's a lot of nothing to do sometimes. Unless you're in the heat of battle. And I would find that out later on in life. So anyway, a week passed by. And then we got orders that uh, three of us were going to be trans transiting down to Puerto Rico to pick up the ship. Or to catch her, to catch up with her. So um, we packed our gear up. And we headed for beautiful Groton Airport. Well, we got on a very small plane. It was the it was a De Havilland Stoll Twin Otter by flown by Pilgrim Airlines, the premier airlines of Connecticut. So we get on this little twelve seater airplane, and there are actually twelve people that got on board besides the the my me and my my new buddies, my new shipmates, and we fly to New York City. We get New York City, and we head to meet meet our connecting flight, which was an American Airlines flight to Miami. It was a fun day of traveling. We flew to Miami, then we it's we get into Miami, it's already nighttime, it's dark. So now we're getting our connecting flight to take us to Puerto Rico. So we get on another small 12, I think it was a 12 or 15 seat plane, turboprop, and it really bolsters your confidence when you see the pilot putting masking tape on the propeller. Yes, correct. So the plane takes off. There were actually 15 people on board. Now we're flying from uh, from Miami to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. And... Uh, We're flying over open water. It's the first time I've ever flown at night over open water. And all I could think of was like trying to remember my water survival training from boot camp. And thinking, oh, please don't, please God, don't let the plane crash, don't let the plane crash. So we got to Puerto Rico long enough to refuel. No, wait, 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 that's not true. We got into San Juan. And we got off the plane there because that's where we were supposed to meet the ship, correct. So we're outside the airport of in San Juan and 
this van pulls up. Says U.S. It's a blue U.S. Navy van. And the door slides open, and three guys said, "Hey, are you, are you here for the Greenland?" And we said, "Yeah." They go, "Hop on." This is where I would meet most of my sonar division. The guy behind the wheel was Freddie Knapp. Uh, the guy in the back of the van was uh, Bob Lethko. Carl Glass, I believe, was in the uh, passenger seat. And there were a couple other guys, I think they were from A-Gang. I don't remember right off the bat. Uh, I want to say J.D. May, but it might not have been. It could have also been Dave Newman. I think they were A-Gangers. I just don't really... It was a long time ago. So we hop on the van, and we're driving through the streets of San Juan, headed toward the ship is. She's tied up with one of the local piers. Now, what I didn't tell you is everybody on the van was drunk. Drunk on their asses. They've been drinking cruising rum most of the day and they said they needed somebody to come pick up some some new 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 meat at the airport so these guys the sonar division was always to the rescue they jumped in the van took off picked up some of their buddies with a couple of bottles of rum and there we are tooling around uh san juan puerto rico the side door open people pass around bottles of rum i'm like well when in rome right so we get to the ship there's a USS Greenland sitting at the pier. And half the crew is out on the pier. They're watching movies off the sail of the ship. And I was like, wow. Everybody's got a bottle of cruising rum. Everybody's drunk. And then uh, somebody would say, who are, who are these fellas? And they said, these are our new uh, replacements for Sonar Div. And he waved at us, waved his, shook his bottle in, 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 in uh, welcome. What's the captain? I said, okay, I must be in on a cool ship, but this is the captain who's already drunk, watching movies off the sail with his crew. This is, this is my kind of captain. So, proceeded to report on board. I had already met the captain, of course. And his name was W.R. Whitcraft. Probably the best skipper I've ever had. He understood he loved his crew. And we we loved him back. He was a good man. Uh, as opposed to my next captain, which would be like uh, being on the bounty. And he was being Captain Bly. And we were all the insolent crew that put him to sea adrift on a lifeboat. So anyway, getting back to the Greenland and W.R. Whitcraft, uh, I would begin to serve aboard that ship for a little over, just maybe about 12, 13 months or so, and uh, proceeded to learn how to qualify in submarines aboard the USS Greenland. What it consists of is uh, they give you a card with the different ship systems and the breakdowns of those systems. You have to learn those systems, and... And once you get a signature that, that shows you've uh, got a good knowledge of how those systems work and operate, uh, the person checking you out will sign your card. And you were required to get, I think it was three signatures a week. <coughs> and let me tell you something, it can be rough because there are certain aspects of the qual card which are very challenging. That being trim and drain, ventilation, uh, many of the electronic systems like sonar, uh, navigation, radio, 
excuse me, but the two major ones were always trim and drain and ventilation because those were the ones that were going to keep you alive, which is why you need to know everything you need to know about them. How to turn a valve that wouldn't kill the crew but would help you out in the long run. Things like that. Uh, now, I have to be honest. I wasn't the best sailor. I never was. And I screwed up a lot. And I didn't take what I was doing very serious. And it reflected. Because when I went to my board, which usually consists of uh, three chiefs who ask you questions. And usually the primary question is, you are a molecule of air sitting outside the snorkel mast. And then the snorkel mast kicks on. Tell me where that molecule of air goes. And you have to take them on a detailed tour of the ventilation system from your memory and uh, that's just the beginning then they will go through all the aspects of submarine operations and grill you on it but like I said I didn't take it that serious and when I went to my board I fucked up and flunked it about that time that I was going to my board my orders came in for my school transfer I was going to tech school C school so, the Green Lean was about to do some really great things. She was scheduled to go to the Med, and uh, then she was going to go, the reported thing, she was going to go north. I don't know if she ever did, but I never got to see that because she, I went my way and she went hers. So, I leave that portion of Green Lean behind me, along with great friends like Tony Copeland, Ken Coleman. Uh, my sonar friends, Carl Glass, Freddie Knapp, Bob Lethko, Al Hine, uh, one of the guys that scared the shit out of me the most. And of course, my sea daddy, Bruce Getman. Can't forget him. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. We'll continue the Veterans Day surprise as we go on. We'll be right back. And welcome back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. So now, let's see. This is where we pick up. Now it's, uh, I want to say, like, late 79, maybe early 80. And now I'm going home for two more weeks of leave after I've departed uh, my time with the USS Greenland. And I am on my way to San Diego to the Fleet Anti-Submarine Warfare Training Center Pacific, the FLEA W Track and Pack, as we used to call her, where my school was. I was going to become a BQQ-5 super or technician to start off with. That was going to be, I think, four months of schooling. So I'm going to school. I run into some old friends again, Dave Garza. And uh, I went to boot camp with him. He went to the USS Nautilus. And he was going to be going to uh, the other technician school that learns the other systems of uh, on the submarine, WLR-9, BQR-22, and others whose names I forgot. My main focus was going to be the ANBQQ-5, which was made by IBM uh, and it was run by a computer called the ANYUK-7, UYK-7 computer, which was a spare UNIVAC computer, 
which I would become very intimate with. So for the next couple of months, I'm learning the BQQ5, how to fix it, how to repair it, how to make it run, run better. And I'm also living off base and I'm having a blast because I'm really enjoying it. Uh, my attitude is still kind of the same, just about partying all the time, you know. Because here's the thing, when I was in school, we went, we went to school from 6 in the morning to noon. 12 o'clock, you were done. So you had the rest of the day, if you didn't have duty, to yourself. So I got myself a, base, a place off base, was enjoying my life, partying. But also doing my, my schoolwork always came first. So I made sure I knew what I was what was going on. So went through the entire course, graduated. So I finished the course of BQQ5 technician school. Uh, I think I was second in my class. Mostly because uh, many of the people that started out flunked out. Uh, I was one of two people in the class that passed the week six uh, challenge, which was a uh, maintenance challenge. They installed a problem that started in the CDC, the control display console, and we had to trace it back to its origin. Everybody got thrown by that test except me and another guy by the name of Charles Shuck and uh, he was one of my buddies and we used to run out run around together he was a good guy I liked him and uh, well, what it was was we're the only two that followed the maintenance procedures we followed the problem back and then when we came to the actual problem it was a series of either one card or the other so I researched it as far back as I could and found out that this card did something that the other one didn't. So it had to be this one. So that's the, that's the card I went with. And sure enough, it was the correct card. That's when they told us that we were the only two that passed the entire section of that, of that course. So I think that's the way it worked. Shuck was finished number one. I was number two. I think that's the way it worked out. So now... They call us into the uh, instructor's office and ask us if we want to go on to super tech school, which is going to be like another six months of school. I said, yes. Six more months in San Diego? Yeah, oh yeah. So we both continued on. Uh, we both ended up graduating super tech school. So now it's time to cut orders, and we get to visit our detailers again. So he tells me, hey, uh, where do you want to go? I said, I'd really like to go to Hawaii, if I can. He goes, let me see what I can do. We may have, there may be a couple openings for a super tech on board the USS whatever, you know, this and that. So he's checking, he's checking. He goes, the best I can do is Charleston, South Carolina, USS Sandlands. I was already on a collision course with Captain H.M. Doherty. And he would be the scourge of my 
the rest of my naval career. And that's a tale for another time. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hurst. Stick around. Be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And I once again, I apologize. You know, if you've heard the show before, there's a lot of bumper music. And for this episode, I was going to plan on using the themes from each one of the armed forces, the Marines, Air Force, Navy, uh, Army, and the Coast Guard. But my tablet is locked up. I think I have a virus, and it's not allowing me to connect to the internet. I really don't know what's wrong, but I'm going to have to take it to a team over store and see if they can fix it for me. So no music for now, and I apologize for that. But anyway, uh, I finished school from the last segment, and I'm going back out to the fleet. Uh, Once again, I'm talking to my detailer, and I tell him I want to go to Hawaii. And he says, you're going to go to Charleston, South Carolina. The USS Sandlands needs a super tech. See, I'm a super tech. I'm one level above the technician because I can actually get the problem, narrow the problem down to a circuit board or circuit card and fix the problem. Um, so, okay, I'm going to Charleston, South Carolina. I've never been there, but... I thought, well, it can't be that bad. It's close to Florida. Boy, was I wrong. Anyway, uh, I pack my gear. I come home for two weeks for some leave. Then I fly back to South Carolina. And I report to Charleston Naval Base. And I find the Pier Mike, the USS Frank Cable, I think it was. There's like five or six submarine tenders. One's in uh, Holy Lock, Scotland. One's in Guam. One's in sub-base New London. One's in Charleston. And one's in San Diego. And one's in Pearl. They all have names, but I, I, I just remember the Frank Cable, the Fulton. Maybe that's the one in New London. Anyway, I report to the tender. Sandlands had just left two days earlier. So now they're trying to find out what to do with me. So they signed me barracks and I'm mustering out with the sick, lame, and lazy. And they're trying to find stuff for us to do on base, picking up cigarette butts, dumping trash, stuff like that. Very meaningful jobs that they have us do when you're in the service. So they call me into the office and say uh, there's two other nukes that they need to send to Sandland, so they're going to send me two because they need me. My rate, my my job code was very critical in the Navy. There were there were only like 15 or 20 of us to put on 40 boats. So you can see how critical that was. <clears throat> so they fly me and two other guys, the two nukes. Overseas flight, my first time flying overseas. And once again, it's a night flight. And we flew from Charleston to New York. Went to Kennedy Airport, caught the international flight. Air Italia, we're flying to Rome, Italy. 
<clears throat> were flying at night over the open Atlantic Ocean. That was a lot of fun. I'm watching movies and I'm watching the little map that shows you, shows you where the plane is. And you're like in the middle of nowhere. You look out the window and you see the moon in the sky. And then you look down and you see this black water and the moon's reflecting its light on the water. And you're like, God, I hope we don't crash. So we get to Rome. Now we're going to have like an 18-hour layover in Rome before we can catch our next connecting flight to uh, Olbia, Italy, which is going to take us to our ship. <clears throat> so uh, we uh, get to Rome. So we proceed to see the sites. I saw the Colosseum. We went to the Vatican, saw the catacombs. Didn't see the Pope. But uh, went to Trevi Fountain and a couple of pl different places in, in Rome. Had dinner. Then it was time to get back to the airport to catch our flight to uh, Olbia. The flight took about an hour. We landed. Then we scrambled onto a bus that was going to take us to La Marlena, Italy. As some sailors refer to it, the asshole of the world. But I'm sure there's a lot of other assholes that the world has, too. I would find one later on down the road called Naples, Italy. Yeah. <clears throat> so we get to uh, we get to the ship. The two nukes go down because they were, they were already part of the crew, so they knew who they were. The top side asked me for my orders. That's the one thing I forgot to leave out. The, the airlines, Air Italia, lost my bag. In my bag were my orders, along with my service record and all my clothes. So now I have no clothes, and I have no way to identify who I am in the Navy. So now the ship refuses to let me down below because I'm not. I have no orders. They can't prove. I can't prove who I am. Yeah, I have my ID, but it doesn't prove anything. So they finally let me down because they they radioed Charleston Naval Base and sure enough there was somebody awake and they said yes they've ever validated my orders they let me down below uh, they uh, scrambled up a couple of poopy suits and a hat and, because I had no clothing I had nothing to wear so in the day the, when the day came I went and bought some uh, personal gear at the uh, on the tender and the very uh, day later, we're out to sea, we're back out to sea, so there I am, doing my thing as best I can with people I don't know on a ship that I'm going to have to requalify because once they found out I was an on-qual, guess what, I was back to square one. At least I didn't have to crank again like I did on Greenland because I'd already done it. And I told the cop, I said, look, once you see my service record, you'll see that I've already cranked. It's in my service record. Cranking is when you work in the galley for 90 days to get acclimated to the ship. It's, it's the way it runs and the crew. It really sucks. It's a horrible job because you're basically serving them dinner. You're cleaning up afterwards and you're doing all the work that the mess cooks do. You're washing dishes and you're dumping trash and you're helping them cook even. Swapping out sodas, milk, all that good stuff. And so, we go to sea for, oh, we're out there for about two weeks in the med. We come back to the tender, 
there's my bag waiting for me. They found it and they shipped it, but I wasn't there, so they were holding on to it. So I finally got my bag, got my clothes out, got my orders to the personnel people. Now I'm an official part of USS Sandlands crew. Then I was going to meet the cap, the commander of the ship, Commander H.M. Doherty, United States Navy. The man didn't like me from day one. And he would fuck with me. I don't know why. He just would. I don't know what I did to deserve it. I think he didn't like Mexicans. And there was a black guy on board that he didn't like either by the name of Joe Wiggins. I think he was just a racist mofo, if you know what I mean. But you know what? It takes all kinds to run the world. And my ship just happened to have the one of the worst uh, freaking racists that hated every, everybody. But, but the white guys, he loved the nukes because they got whatever they wanted. So for the next three years, I was going to get screwed with left and right. I would get written up for no reason. I would go to Captain's Mass. I would get restricted, lose pay. Uh, then when the Navy came out with its uh, physical requirements and I took the physical test, I failed it. He wanted to drum me out of the Navy. And he started the proceedings to get me out. So this is my life. Besides, but he couldn't get rid of me for one reason. I was a super tech and he needed me. He needed me to keep his sonar system running so he could win combat scenarios. <clears throat> so I did my best to do what I had to do. This time I got qualified. I put, I buckled down. I paid attention. I didn't screw around like I did on Greenland. And I earned my submarine warfare badge, my dolphins. The crew tacked them on. But the captain refused to. That's one of his duties, is to tack on your, your dolphins for the first time. But that was the extent of his dislike for me. So, I endured that for three years. And then came the mission that would change my, my life, my wife. The mission was numbered 8403, and I think that's still classified, but uh, it's been 40 years. What are you going to do? <clears throat> All I can tell you is that I went someplace and was never there. We did something. We got caught up in something that never happened and would really rattle my teeth. Shook the pillars of heaven. Let me put it to you that way for me. Because that's when the captain started talking to me about they were going to drill me out of the Navy because I didn't meet the physical qualifications. So one day I went to uh, see a Navy lawyer and I explained to him from point A to point B what happened, what's been happening with me. He looked at me and he said, you know what, you've got two weeks to get out. He said, screw this captain of yours. He said, get out and re-enlist. And then we'll, we'll get you sent to a different boat, probably with a better crew and a better captain, and your career can go on. So I got out, but I already had uh, started to develop PTSD and really had an attitude where I didn't want anything to do with the government. Really and truly, what I should have done is re-enlisted and gone to a different command and continued on, continued on, but 
my mind got the better of me and uh, that's the route I went and I got out of the Navy and that was the end of my time on Sandlands the end of my time in submarines at the United States Navy I have a lot of good memories of the good people that I served with the fantastic places that I went to the people that I saw and friends that I lost And the strange thing about it is uh, I didn't realize how much the Navy has changed, had changed my life, changed the way I think, made me a patriot, an American patriot. I still have an immense respect for the flag and disdain for those who don't believe that we should bring God back to our schools as well as a pledge of allegiance and teaching children about the flag. Social studies, that's where we learned these things back then. They need to bring some things back. Well, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. We'll see. The, the world is changing every day. It changes. But I do thank the Navy for a lot of things they did for me. You know what? Well, I went to the, do the laundry today and uh, I still fold my clothes the way they was taught in boot camp. Old habits die hard, I guess is what they say. So, you're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur, veteran. And uh, if you served your country, if you were my brother in arms, if you were my shipmate, if you also wear the submarine warfare badge, then you are my brother. You always will be. Now, two of my brothers turned on me and screwed me over a while back, but the rest of my friends, and you know the, the, the beauty of Facebook, I was able to reconnect with a lot of my friends from my old ships. I reconnected with Ken Coleman from Greenling, Tony Copeland as well, Bob Lethko, Al Hine, J.D. May, Dave Newman, and some other guys that I see on the Greenlean webpage. Uh, some names I remember, some I don't. I was there for a brief time. I was there for about a little, little just a tad over a year. <clears throat> I was on Greenlean, or I was on Sandlance for three. Uh, when I was on Sandlance, I reconnected with George Toma. I'm trying to reconnect with my old chief, Chief Gersh. Uh, who else have I reconnected with? Well, that's about it. There's an old friend, uh, submarine buddy that I knew when I was in school, Don Lockhart. He is one of my best buds. But sometimes time and distance keep you apart. But he's still my brother, my brother of the fin. And when I say brother of the fin, I mean dolphins. That's what we call the submarine warfare badge. 
they're dolphins in the submarine community. What kind of submarine did I serve on? I served on two hunter killers because I was a sonarman and I was a Q5 super tech. I was going to be locked into hunter killers for the rest of my career. Uh, most sonarmen can go on either boomers or fast attacks, but I was locked into a specific job on a fast attack. So that was my time in the service. If you were a jarhead, if you were a grunt in the army, or if you were an airman in the air force, maybe you were a pilot, I thank you for your service. If you were a coastie, a coast guardman, or a national guardsman, you have my respect. You gave of yourself that many people don't. We're a small community, believe it or not. So when you see another person wearing a hat that designates he went to Vietnam, he's your brother in arms. Or you see an old vet from World War II, he's your brother in arms. When Marines see other Marines, they refer to them as their brothers because it's that kind of community, that kind of family. And in the submarine community, it's no different. These are my brothers of the Finn. We put ourselves in harm's way more often than not. The living conditions were far from exceptional. You were cramped in a uh, rack that was called, referred to as a coffin. And if you ever see one, you'll understand why. It's just barely enough for one person to fit in lying down. That's where you slept. That's where you stored your gear. And your buddy was right underneath you, and you had another buddy right above you if you were in the middle rack. You did everything together. You would spend 90 days out at sea underwater together, crammed into a little 100-foot sewer pipe, 300-foot sewer pipe. As soon as you got to shore, you would say, hey, you want to hang out? That's uh, so very, so very weird because we only wanted to hang out with each other. Nobody else understood what we went through or how we lived. Guys on aircraft carriers, destroyers, frigates, all did, did it different. They were, we're a little bit weirder. Yeah. Submariners are definitely weird, if you know us. Well, once again, that was my time in the service. I wish I had done it different, but we don't control how things go sometimes. If you know a vet, show them a little respect. If they fly a flag in their yard, show the flag a little respect. Help a veteran out. Also, if you have PTSD to the point where you don't know if you're gonna, if you feel like taking your own life, call the suicide hotline. I don't have that number handy, but you can find it if you just Google it. Somebody will talk you down, or if you know another vet that can talk with you and share your, your feelings and help you not do what you're thinking about doing. I've been there myself. I've been at the edge of the abyss looking down. And it's dangerous. So take care of yourselves. If you got the PTSD, try to get help. In my case, I lived with it for so long that it just didn't bother me anymore. It flares up from time to time when people piss me off, but it, it for the most part, is under control. 
All right, you're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. This is the part of the show where you would hear the traveling Wilburys opening up with the song The End of the Line, letting you know that this is the end of an episode. This was the end of my Veterans Day episode, uh, and I was talking about my time in the United States Navy from boot camp to my very last day. There was a lot of other stories I didn't share simply because there maybe some other time when uh, I feel like telling stories of the sea. Uh, I did a lot of really stupid things when I was in the Navy, and they live in the memories of those who saw me do it, and of course in my memory for the one, the idiot that did it. So once again, I say, if you know a veteran, if your dad was a veteran, if your dad went to Nam, hug him. He did a good thing. The war messed him up. But if he was functional enough to get out and have a family and raise a family without killing himself or anybody else, he, he did two good things. Or maybe your grandfather went to fought in World War II. He's harboring some, some dirty, horrible things. Hug him. Tell him thank you. When you see kids in ROTC uniforms, don't laugh at them. They may be the next person that's going to go to war for you. You just never know. The service leads you down some very strange paths. And I've been down most of those rabbit holes. But I got out, and I made it out, and I'm here. So, all right. Well, this is the point where I would tell you to listen to the travel, leave, leave you with the traveling Wilburys, but that's not going to happen. So, I thank you for listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I hope you enjoyed this one. And hopefully next time I'll get my tablet fixed and we can have some really good bumper music. All right. Well, oh, yeah, I forgot to leave my standard departure greeting. I want you to live, laugh, and love. Live your days on this earth as if it was your last day on earth. I want you to laugh at yourself and others, not in a mean way, but when when there's a time, there's a time to laugh. That's when you laugh. I'm not saying life's a joke, but if you look at it seriously all the time, it's going to lead you to an early grave. Yeah, it will. And then love. Love everybody in this world, even your enemies. And it's okay to have an enemy, but you got to love them too. They're people just like you, and they make mistakes just like you. And then love the person back that looks at you in the mirror. Because you can't love somebody until you love yourself. Well, that's that for this episode. Until next time, these are the Chairland Chronicles, signing off.